0: So, welcome everybody to our first weekly Tanya class. For those unfamiliar with what Tanya is, although Tanya may be a popular name, but Tanya is actually the primary, in Chabad circles, it is the primary Chabad text of Chabad philosophy. It was written by the first Chabad Rebbe, known as Rabbi Schneur Zalman. Um, he was called Rabbi the Alter Rebbe, and Yiddish means the Old Rebbe, because as he had children, and they took over the mantle of leadership. He became the senior, the Zaidi of the Rebbis. So he was referred to always as the Alter Rebbe. The Tanya is a fascinating book for those who were able to be part of our Book Smart JLI course that we gave earlier this year. Maybe a little familiar with the different genres of Torah, but Hasidus has a very unique I will, I'm going to step back a bit historically um, to what Chassidus came about and what the Tanya's goals are. So Judaism has been practiced and kept by the Jewish people for over 3,000 years. Throughout, <clears throat> throughout this time, there was many insights into the reasons and the explanations behind why we do what we do and why we practice the way we practice and there were different times in Judaism or in history where I would say the Jewish community was more inspired in tune with the spirituality behind the faith and the observance. During the temple was probably the high time when there was the most unity between our spiritual state and our observance. We experienced God in the temple and we brought that into our observance back home. There was the annually or tri- triannually, where the Jewish people would come on the holidays, where the Jewish people were able to have both their spiritual, their spiritual state and the practice of Judaism were in perfect unison. As the Jews were in exile, the weight of the exile slowly came to bear on the Jewish people over time, When the Hasidic movement began was a very hard time for the Jewish people. It was just after, if anyone's familiar in Jewish history, of the era of Shabtai Tzvi, who was a false Mashiach, which came and brought hope to the Jewish people that the Messiah had come. And it was especially resonated with the Jewish people because the Jewish people had just were in the middle and had overcome the pogroms, which were constantly plaguing Eastern Europe, and the Jewish people were devastated by the constant mm-hmm. and kind of um, spontaneous atrocities that would come their way and unpredictable, and they were living a life <laughs> of unpredictability and no, and very lack of stability, so when Shabdai Tzu came and gave promises of a future of, no, of peace and harmony, people jumped at it. And when it was discovered that he was just an, a false a false messiah and there was nothing to his whole show, it shattered the spirit of the Jewish people. And the spirit of Judaism was at an all-time low. That doesn't mean the practice of Judaism was at an all-time low, but the spirit of Judaism was at a very all-time low. As a result, I would say Judaism became was being kept, but in a very, I would say, commercial fashion. You know, people had their found their niche where they belonged. The Torah scholars were the Torah scholars, the business people were the business people. Everyone kept to their lane, everyone, you know, followed their script, and you just did what you were meant to do in a certain way. The Baal Shem Tov came about with the establishment of the Hasidic movement to bring the spirit back to Judaism. That people should be excited when they do a mitzvah. Not just because this is what my parents told me, but this is because it's something I want to be a part of. And when we say, as we'll learn about in a second, when we say this Shema, Yisrael, we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, we're not just repeating texts that happen to be, but it's something that resonates and be- resonates with us. And it's something that we're we feel a part of, we feel connected to. And the Balshemto began doing that in very by very much by display. The Bashemta used to go from village to village and he would uplift what were then called the simple folk of Jewish people, people which weren't Torah scholars and gave them the feeling that they're a value, that their their prayers, even if they're not, they're not the brightest or they may not the most educated people, but when they pray to God and their sincerity is a value, and sincerity is just as valuable to God as as smarts. And and someone who has, you know, the ability to study and master the Talmud and so on and so forth. And he started breaking that bridge that there was between the great people, the great Jews and the simple Jews, to sort of say, and bringing the spirit that we're all Jews and we all contribute and God needs all of us to make his world the world that it is. And there were many other nuggets that the Baal Shem Tov taught us about praising God, the divine providence and so on and so forth. Um, But... A lot, but he was very much a man of action by inclusivity and the actions he did, bringing spirit, joy, singing, dancing, um, praying with you know with spirit and so on and so forth. When after his passing. The next, the person who was the clear successor, sort of say, of the Baal Shem Shemtov was the Magad. The Bal Shemtov used to travel a lot. His the successor, the Magad, the Mizrich, used to stay in the city of Mizrich and teach. And he had many students, which eventually branched off to build the Hasidic empire that it is today. Most, if you anyone ever is familiar, if you want to search Hasidic sects, there's tons of different Hasidic communities. And most of those Hasidic communities are sh- branches or shoots off the different students of the Magad. Most of the students of the Maggid kept to a very similar style of teaching, the same way the Baal Shem Tov taught. The one student which charted his own path was the Alt Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe. And he sort of, say, put his magnum opus, in which he wrote, and put the synopsis of his ideas in was in the book of the Tanya. And the Tanya, which the Rebbe's unique approach was, he said is that we're going to take the lofty ideas of Kabbalah that inspire the Baal Shemto's vision and look on the world and make it relatable that every person, no matter what stage they are, can study those ideas and find relevant practical ideas from the from Kabbalah. And in his approach as well, this reflected in his service of God. In the opening book of Tanya, so today, for whatever reason, and we'll see exactly how we approach it, we're going to start from the second section of the Tanya and work our way back to the first section after. Um, We'll talk about that in a bit. But the al Rebbe begins in the opening of his Tanya. He says he's going to teach us the long, short way of serving God, Right does the long short way mean? So it's a play actually from a Talmud, which describes a Jerusalemite boy is sitting at the gateway of Jerusalem and a fellow comes over and says, what, how do you get to Jerusalem? And seeing a guy in his late forties, never been to Jerusalem before, he figured he's going to answer like a good Jerusalemite boy. And he says, do you want the short long way or the long short way? So the guy thinks, all right, maybe the short long way sounds right. Sounds about right. So the guy says, all right, the kid tells him just walk straight. You'll get to the temple. So he starts walking and he's walking through these thick fields and 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 shrubs. And finally he gets to a wall right in front of him and he can't cross. He can't get through the wall. He turns back to the kid and says, what do you mean the short long way? I followed the way. I couldn't get there. So he said, listen, you want the shortest way possible, you know, my on um, you know on Google Maps now, a lot of times when you put in a uh, destination, it tells you, do you want the quickest route or, you know, the, mo- the least mileage, right? So he said, if you want the least mileage, if you're able to somehow break through that wall, that's the shortest way possible, right? There may be all types of obstacles along the way, but mileage-wise, if you walk straight, you'll get straight to the temple. Now, the long short way is if you follow the path, it'll take you all the way around the wall but it'll be a lot easier to get there. So that's why it's the long, short way. So in the Tanya itself, the al Rebbe describes a long, short way in service to God is it may not be easy at first, and it may take a lot of time, but if you want something that's sustainable, long-term in a relationship with God, this is what the al Rebbe tries to teach in Tanya through. And what's his short, long, short way is very much through meditation as we'll even see in the bit of introductory words we'll study today, is the more we know, the more we study, the more our be- mannerisms and we behave as well. So the al approach very much, and this is very unique into the way Judaism's approach was in centuries before, and in many communities still today, We're we tend to raise people. And the way honestly, I would say to a certain way most youth in America get raised today is you get raised by your environment. You're in a culture which behaves a certain way, so you get pulled into that culture as well. And perhaps one of the most powerful pieces in, you know, the one of those powerful human things that we have is peer pressure. And there's all types of studies that have been done in this. When you're in a room and everyone's doing something, you feel compelled to partake in that a lot of times, even if you don't understand why you're doing it. So in, it think if, if you're lucky, you're in a healthy environment and people are doing healthy things, right? So you pick up those mannerisms, you're doing good things. It's all's good. So that's very much the general approach that has been taken. Al-Tarebi took a very unique approach and says, no, we need to challenge ourselves to study, ask questions, challenge ourselves more. And the more we study, the more we learn. A very key line, and this is something which is a very much important thing, is that the mind controls our emotions. If we have a healthy mindset, we can put our emotions in check. And usually what gets us into the wrong places or makes us make bad decisions is when our emotions are out of check. We're not in a help. We don't have a healthy control or relationship with our emotions. So the Altarebi tries to empower us with various different meditations or ideas and 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 so on and so forth. And the Tanya, in order to challenge us to grow and mature our relationship with God and our service of God as well. So in the Tanya, there's four sections in the final printing. The main part of Tanya, which is very classically known is the first part, which is known as the Tanya. It's about 53 chapters. And in it, and we'll get, hopefully our goal is to go through those chapters as well. In those chapters, the Altarebi very much goes through what it means to be in service of God and how to deal with our inner conflict. So to better understand that, the Rebbe begins with explaining what the makeup of our spiritual internal mechanisms are, to understand why we struggle. And when we understand why we struggle, we can understand how to empower ourselves to deal with life's struggles and deal with our spiritual struggles. The second part of the Tanya, which interestingly, it seems that the Rebbe initially thought to put this as the first part of the Tanya but eventually decided to put it at the second part, is called Shar HaYichud Vemunam, which is the gateway of God's unity and belief in God. And in it, the Altarebi is going to give us a very unique Hasidic approach on understanding God's unity and oneness. And how what it means when we say, I believe in God. The third chapter section is called Igeratha Chuva, which is Al Drebi's take, Hasidic take on what repentance is. And the final chapter is Igeratha Kodish, which is letters correspondences, which is different communications of letters the Al-Drebi had with various people, which usually in those letters they expound or follow up on different ideas, which are discussed in the earlier three sections. So those when you buy a Tanya, usually it will have those two sections. Um, Well, we're going to start with, and I may change how I approach it and feedback in general will be great because this is our first time doing a Tanya class. So your feedback on what you appreciate what not, will help shape how we do this going forward. Um, We'll try to make it, it's a weekly class and not everyone necessarily can make every week. So we'll try to, every time that we are on, that there's a little takeaway um, each week on its own. Um... And we'll see like some weeks we'll do more text-based, some weeks we'll do more out-of-text. The, some of the concepts, again, we're a lot of, some of the chapters get very, a little detailed and if unfamiliar with Hasidic terms could be a little overwhelming. So we're gonna try to keep, uh, go through the ideas and take away some of the fundamentals, which I hopefully can successfully take away from the this section. Um, As I was preparing a bit today, what I was thinking about what Tanya does, and even today, not everybody necessarily that's religious or practices studies Hasidus, and many, and what Tanya, why it's such an important study within the Chabad community, and in general, why so many people even out of Chabad today study Tanya. And I was thinking about it, it's not a great parable, but somewhat. And that is like many of us drink. Um, either wine, or have a app, or or drink coffee. Right? Let's do coffee. More maybe coffee is more relatable for some people. <laughs> so for the non-educated coffee consumer, you just pick up a bo- a bottle of you know Taster's Choice and you fill up your coffee. And for the effects of being the caffeine, you get that from a Taster's Choice coffee too. But for the coffee connoisseur. To offer them a cup of taster's choice is an offense. It's an offense <laughs> to coffee, right? Right? So when it comes to religion and when it comes to our relationship with God, the end of the day, it's all about are we drinking the cup of coffee or not? God's going to look at our actions. Are we doing what he asks from us or is he not doing what he asks from us? But you can't compare drinking a cup of coffee that's taster's choice to a brewed blended cup, a cup of coffee. So with our service in God as well, you could, there's not, someone who doesn't study Tanya, doesn't study Hasidus or doesn't challenge, there's no, you're, there's nothing, you're, there's nothing wrong. And someone, and it's beautiful. Someone's doing what they need to be, but you can't, but can you imagine the, what they're lacking from not understanding what a brute cup of coffee is. So Tanya tries to veil us, takes the veil off and give us a whole new light that we're not just doing something, because it's accessible. We're doing something because it's rich, because it's beautiful. And that's hopefully what Hasidus adds to our service and to our mitzvot. We're not just doing something, we're doing something that's fresh and exciting. And that's hopefully what the goal of Tanyan Hasidus is. Again, it's not changing anything. It's not, you're, we're still drinking coffee, so to say, right? But you can't compare when you take the time to brew it and appreciate it. So that's hopefully the impression that Hasidus does. So with that said, let's speak a little bit about what section of Tanya we're going to focus in on. Um, there, I guess I was a little bit inspired. Recently, we gave a course, My God, we were speaking a little in and, and our last course, True Pernatural, we are also speaking a little bit about the esoteric and the, um, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So I thought it maybe would maybe be interesting to dive in a little bit on the unique Hasidic perspective on God. And over here too, hopefully, while many of us may have studied or even have our own impression on what it means when I say we believe in God, hopefully the Altarebi here and Tanya will challenge us a little bit to have a fresher, deeper perspective. And if there was anyone which personified the idea that Shaur Hayichud will teach, was the Rebbe. The Rebbe was a pioneer. If you ever listen to talk of the Rebbe, the Rebbe was always trying to give off the vibe that God is the most real reality that exists in this world, and all the physicality or anything which seems contrary to God is all sort of say a illusion or blocking the truth from us to be part of. And the way that one can have that attitude where God is my reality and that the physical nature of the world is not a does not in no way hinders that reality in any way shape or form. You can get when we finish studying hopefully Sharyahu you can understand where such an attitude can come from. The Altarebi challenges us when we look at the world, To allow ourselves to see something that, to see the world from a different perspective. And what may seem as absolute and real, perhaps there's a truth underlying there that we're missing. To get, before we get into that, um, so before we get into that, I don't, I I don't really have a textbook to share, but I want to share with you um, what, what I would recommend um, for reference, we're going to be using, and this I'll show on the screen whenever we use text. I'm going to keep to the English because I doubt many here, um, the Hebrew will be of much value. Uh, so on Chabad.org, they have, if you have a textbook of your own, there is a translation of the Tanya. Um, they have a section called Tanya. If you want, I can share these links with you in an email app. Um, as well after the class. So this is the text that we'll basically use. Um, I would recommend also, I find them to be a great read, um, Rabbi Steinsaltz. So this is the Steinsaltz Center. They have, you have you have a PDF you could view online, um, but you can also buy the book if you want. It's a great Tanya in English. So we'll be using, this is volume three of his English set. And it's a phenomenal translation and commentary on the Tanya as well. Um, Like I said, I'm not sure exactly how we want to go about it. If people, we want to read more commentary together or keep to the original text, Um, but we'll start off with the, the straight up translation of the text over here. So as I mentioned, this is the second chapter of the Tanya and The entire Tanya is called Le Kutei Amarim. Just to understand a little bit, maybe give you a glimpse of the piety of the author of the Tanya, is that this is the author of the Tanya's magnum opus, and literally something that he worked tirelessly on and put a lot of thought into every single letter and word that he wrote in the Tanya. And yet he calls the book a compilation of statements. So he kind of attributes this book as a compilation. He doesn't take any credit, original credit, for any of the ideas. Um, As you mentioned, this is the part two of the section. And he calls it Chinuch Katan, which is the, what we'll read in a second. He writes an introductory section to this part of the Tanya, which focuses on education. So he calls it the name of the section he's recalling after his introduction about the Education of a child. And he writes over here it's compiled from books and from sages, sages of exalted saints whose souls are in Aden, based in the first section of the recitation of the Shema. So, this section of the Tanya, as in the first one, again, he tributes it to previous people, all the ideas. And when he says over here, of sages and exalted saints is referring to his teacher, the Magid, and the Baal Tov, and other Kabbalistic works. And the focus that he's going to do over here is understanding the first section of the recitation of the Shema, the verse of hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And the goal over here is to give us a fresh new perspective when we say that we speak about the oneness of God and um, and how God is the create God is the creator of the world to have a new fresh perspective on that so a very self-understood reason why the Altarebi would have wanted this to be the first section of the tanya before he discusses on how one can work through their um battle their you know their inner struggles is because the fundamental part of of you know Judaism or serving god is the fact that we understand our what it means to believe in god right <laughs> there's like the famous you know, statement what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? So in service of God, you got to believe in God or have a strong belief in God to develop a service. So the al is go the focus of this section will be to hopefully come back to relook at the Shema prayer in a whole new fresh light. We've got a few minutes right now, so let's we'll talk about the He has so in the opening to the section, the author writes a very brief but very profound intro. And the gist of this intro is to understand the importance and the value of a strong belief system and, and emotional relationship, emotional investment in our faith. And the Altarebi is going to finish off why it's so crucial to discuss and develop a strong awareness and acknowledgement of God's existence and connection with this world. And he does so by challenging a very famous statement of education. And this is the quote that he brings over here, um, where it says, educate the child according to his way even when he will be old, he will not not depart from it. So it's a verse from scripture that educate your child according to his way, even when he will be old, he will not depart from it. So I'll read this question from the text and I'll explain it. Since it was written according to his way, it is understood that it's not the path of perfect truth. Hence of what merit is it that even when he will be old, He will not depart from it. All right. So, what does this mean? The Tanya is looking over here on multiple ways we can ask this question and to understand it. On a very basic way, is when a teacher or a professor that's an expert in the field comes, let's say, to school on career day right and he wants to explain to a child you know let's do this in a lot simpler way when we talking over here of the child the key idea over here is we're not just talking about youth and an age matter where one kid is six years old and even when he's 60 years old, things will not depart from him. We're talking about maturity. We use the term child or old between a immature or mature status. So when it comes to relationships, you have people that are in a still immature relationship and hopefully that matures into a healthy relationship. I think every relationship, you know, we speak about the honey year phase, Mm -hmm. I think that's still the immature state of a relationship. And the question is always, will these people be able to mature in their relationship when things are not just exciting and so on and so forth? Will they be able to develop a real, healthy, mature relationship that will be sustaining? Okay. So over here, we're talking about a child when it comes to education, when it comes to values, when our kids are very young, how do we educate kids between good or right? good or bad. Usually a lot of times it's with some sort of award system. You know, for doing a good thing, you get a candy. For not doing something good, you you, or you get a treat. When you do something wrong, you get punished, right? Now, when we're mature, hopefully we're doing the right thing and the wrong thing, not because of an external thing, but because it's the right thing or it's the wrong thing, right? So when a child is being educated, they're usually being educated in a more immature manner. So why are we being told, educate the child according to his way, even when it's old, he will not depart from him. Aren't we, when we educate children and their youth, educating them so they're able to mature and retain a new, healthier relationship when they get old? Why would a kid, why we want a child to still hold on to their immature understanding of things, when they've developed and already become matured. Is that a fair question? So what the Altarebi is going opening up with this question, now it happens to be an important thing in education that when we do educate a child, we do educate a child in the literal sense, according to their way. We have to be mindful, not all kids are educated the same way. And if you want to be successful in education, you got to tailor it. So that's the literal sense of the verse. But the al Rebbe is giving us, as always, it's a very interesting thing in Hasidus. We don't, don't, the Hasidus is not coming just to preach ideas, but it's very much trying to give us a deeper perspective on things we already know. So always in Hasidus or in the Tanya is going to first, give a premise on something, on where it's coming from, what challenge, you know, and then give us a new perspective on that. So in order to give us a new perspective on the maturity or immaturity and what's being carried over, the Alta Rebbe is going to take a few steps back. And we'll see to the end, he's going to redefine what it means, the child, and what it means, the adult here. What is the immature state in which it's being carried over? And he does that, by delving into a new topic. And this topic is a key fundamental the entire topic, and that is the love and fear of God. Developing a healthy love and fear of God. Why is that so important? So as he discusses in the next paragraph, it is well known that fear, awe, and love are the roots and foundations of the service of God. Fear is the root and basis of refraining refrain from evil, and love of, of and to good and the observance of all positive commandments of the Torah and the rabbis. This will be explained in their proper place. The commandment of educating the Okay, so this is, it's just interesting over here. It says this will be explained in the proper place. This is one of the indications that we know that the al initially wrote this as the first section of the time because where this is discussed is in the first section of the time. So the al obviously felt that this would preface what eventually became the first section of the time, even though this is coming at the second part. So what he's saying over here is a very fundamental thing. And this is a key part of Pacific philosophy. Anytime you do an action, it's coming from a place of love. Anytime we refrain from doing an action, it's coming from a place of fear. Now, what does love and fear mean? That is, by the way, one of the most spoken about topics in Tanya. And even in the next few paragraphs here, we'll discuss different levels of fear. Now, and this is in, in there's the uh, famous, uh, the, the, you know, they say the joke about uh, a person which was uh, going around saying how much he loves fish, he loves fish. And as he's sitting one day, sitting down and proclaiming his love for fish, the fish Platter that's in front of him finally speaks up and he says, If you love me so much, you wouldn't be eating me. Right? So, when we use the term love, there's various different forms in how that term is used. And when we speak of love, and so in the same way, when we do something, usually the mode of action comes from a mode of love. And that could either be a very deep rooted love, a very powerful love, which is propelling us and exciting us, and we feel that energized by that feeling when we're doing it or it could be a very subtle love where when I open up my fridge and I see some pickles you know it excites me I eat a pickle right it's coming from a certain liking that I have to pickles so I'm eating it or any food for example craving that we have it's not necessarily a love which we would profess or write poems about or you know what I'm saying or you know sing a you know sing an opera song about but Every time there is an action that we do, there's a certain subtle draw that we have towards it. And love is that emotional draw that we have. So like we said, there's various different levels. And the same way there's various different levels of love within our life, the Tanya in the first section throughout the chapters also defines for us. when we want to know, do we love God? The Tanya strips away various different levels or modes which that love could be expressed. Sometimes our love to God is only expressed in a very subtle fashion, but it's still an expression of love. So the love, it could be from a very subtle to a very overt feeling. And the same thing is with awe. I could be in very, you know, very much feeling and my bones are shivering because I'm in awe, or I could just not stick my finger in the fire because I know that's going to hurt me, right? Which is not a, my bones are not shaking. I'm not nervous. I'm not having anxiety, but I know not to do this because I, I, I fear I don't want the consequences. So, and as well as with our service of God, we could have fear. We can abstain from doing certain things, either because emotionally we're very in tune and connected and we feel the gravity, very overtly or subtly in the back of our minds, we can educate ourselves to avoid certain habits because they're unwanted behaviors. So love and fear are the root for anything that we do or don't do. So therefore, when it comes to service of God, or we want to be in service of God, we want to do God's commandments. We don't want to do what God tells us not to do. The key thing to build or make sure we have is we have within ourselves a feel for God a positive, both a love and awe feeling for God. Whether, even if it's in a very subtle fashion, if we want us to be in service of God, we need to develop those emotions that inspire that behavior. And what's the emotions that inspire either doing what God wants or refraining from doing the things God doesn't want us to do is love and fear. So that's why it's a crucial thing for us to develop those emotions Emotions. Now, speaking of, and this will we'll, we'll read this because it's going to come reconnect. The commandment of educating a child includes also training in the performance of the positive precepts as stated in our time. So he's already giving an alluding here that the education of the child to better understand this verse. In the Hasidic perspective is understanding in the educating the child in service of God. Now, even though a child before their bar bat mitzvah is not obligated to do any of the commandments, we still educate and raise our children. And if we're raising our children, if we want them to do what's asked from us, we also have to be educating them a certain sense of love and awe of God. Because again, the crucial thing in order anything that we do is inspired by a certain love or awe. So he's reframing already, giving us insight, how how the love and awe that we educate our children can also be empowering for us later on in our life. So how does that work? That's gonna be the discussion that the alternative is gonna pick up over here. And if you were explaining a little bit different forms or statuses of love, what a more mature love realistically can be for a healthy adult, And what would be the more immature love? And it's not necessarily an age thing, but where someone is beginning and why that more immature love is so crucial in a person's development that will hold them, carry them through all the different tribulations that will happen throughout their life. Um, Pretty much wrapping up on time, so I don't want to delve into the new topic, but the, the I I want to give a little introduction, which will help us understand a little bit next week. The Tanya, in its original form, if anyone has the book, will also may sometimes notice another name for it called the Book of the Benini. The Benini is a term um, which is used in various different forms. If anyone's been to Israel or knows Hebrew lingo, you may be familiar with the term tzaddik. Tzaddik is a righteous person. And in Israel, anytime someone does something nice, you call them, hey, tzaddik, "Aze tzaddik, e'zit tzaddik, righteous. You're such a special righteous person. In scripture, a lot of times the term tzaddik comes about is when someone is being judged. If they're come, if they found meritorious, then they are tzaddik, they're right. If someone is found guilty, then they are called a term "Russia," a bad person. There are other times where you have references of tzaddiks as people which are very saintly as well. So in the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe does a very, one of the key things he does, and we'll, God willing, when we get there to the first the to the first part of the Tanya, the Alta Rebbe goes to define the proper terminology in terms of where these terms and how these terms are used. And the Alter Rebbe basically defines three general categories of people. The highest state is a tzaddik. A tzaddik is a person which does not have the internal struggle that your average person has. A tzaddik is a righteous person, which their job is to be ambassadors for God on this earth. And they struggle more with how to make God relatable to this world than they do with the struggle most people have, which is how do I discover God in this world? They got a total different perspective on this world, and they deal a totally different struggle. Then there's the Russia. Which sounds like a very heavy term, but the Russia is what most people deal with. A Russia is a person which has an internal struggle, and he's not always doesn't always win the battle. He's constantly struggling, he makes some wins, and he has some losses. The Baninini is a unique individual which, although he has eternal struggle between good and bad, always wins the battle, so he does. All the right things, but it comes with a lot of work. The baeninie is this middle person, and the Alter Rebbe's goal within the Tanya is to empower us to be a baenin as much as possible, meaning to empower us to overcome as many struggles as possible. You know, I was talking with a person the other day. I, by we had uh, the Rebbe's day of passing was just last week. That's what brought me to New York initially, and waiting online. There were over 50,000 people that came to visit the Rebbe's resting place over the day. And if you were there, especially during the high time, which getting Mendel out of the house and so on and so forth, uh, the woman's line was, Goldie was in and out within a half hour. It took me about three hours waiting online. Um, so while waiting online, I bumped into someone I knew and we were sitting and talking. And one of the things that hit me is that in the two famous battles that America fought in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. I don't know if the union or the Americans won most of the battles, but we won the war, right? And it's a crucial thing in life and the Altarebi addresses this as well at some point. When it comes to internal struggle, sometimes we have to be part of, it's the main thing is to stay in the fight. It's not necessarily will we win every battle and the tools in order to, overcome those battles is what the Rebbe tries to give us in the Tanya. And in those stages of the different people, so the Bainini is someone which amazingly is able to win all the battles and therefore wins the war. And then there's the Russia, which is, a, a you know, aspiring to be the Bainini, which we're constantly battling. Whether we win all the battles or not as irrelevant, the plain goal is, is that we continue to stay within the fight. And over here, he's going to contrast in a second. and We go through the different verses, which speaks about love of God. And, you know, I'll in- give a little introduction. The first thing that the Alt Rebbe is going to ask, and this will be our cliffhanger for next week in a second in the text, is the Torah commands us to love God. Now, you ever told someone you better love this food and they've all of a sudden started loving it? Probably not. Emotions are not something that are dictatable. So how does God dictate to us that we should love God? Right? So this is a key a concept which the al Rebbe discusses in the Tanya as well, is what does it mean to build a relationship or being told to build a relationship with God as a command? And the Al-Turabi is going to dissect that and how it will be different this commandment will be responded very differently depending on where you are. If you're of the unique few which are exotic which God is a reality, and the world is what your challenge is, how to make the world relatable to you, and how you can inspire people that are within the physical realm of the world to see God, you will be a very different form of commandment. Or if you're someone which struggles with making God a part of our reality, so then the demand of loving God will come also from a different perspective. So that's going to be a little bit our discussion next week. Um, I feel like I may have said a lot of different things, (laughs) Um, but I think that to summarize this week, the opening over here is the, what we're trying to build an understanding is, is what it means to we want understanding the importance of love and fear of God, why it's crucial for our service of God, because whatever we do or don't do is inspired by our love or awe of the matter. So if we want to be inspired to serve God, we need to have a relationship in which we love or fear God. And with that, we have to understand what a immature relationship of love of fear of God is and what a more mature relationship will look like. And that way, and When we do that, we'll understand why even that immature sort of say love and fear of God is crucial for us to sustain the more mature love and fear of God as well. And defining those terms in more detail, hopefully we'll do in the upcoming weeks, bit by bit.